This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. back. I'm Ken Smothers, professor here at the Wharton School, and you're listening to Your Money Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. For the rest of the show, you know the routine by now. I'll a couple of financial planners taking your calls with me about your own financial situation. So if you want to know how to invest your money, how to save for retirement, kids, cows, life insurance, paying on debts, budgeting, really anything about your money. If you got a question live on Tuesdays, give me a call here at one 844 942 With uh, me, this segment is Melissa Sotoday, who is the uh, wealth advisor with Halpern uh, Financial in Rockville, uh, Maryland. Um, and she does lots of things with them, including retirement planning, investments, tax management, as well as estate planning. Uh, so question about really anything related to your finance, now it's a great time to talk uh, with Melissa. She's a certified financial planner and holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics from the University of Texas and the MBA from the Thunderbird School of Management in Phoenix, Arizona. Like all our advisors on this show, she is fee only. Welcome back to the show, Melissa. Thank you, Kent. I'm glad to be back. And if you have a question about your own finances, now's a perfect time to call. Give me a call live on Tuesdays here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And uh, Melissa, before going back to the phone lines, just uh, tell us a little bit about your firm and if you have a typical client, what's yours she like? Sure. So, um, as you said, we're fee-only. Um, we're an independent registered investment advisor in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, I work with a lot of women in transition, widows, um, divorcees, and families that are mid-career professionals that are trying to maximize their high-earning years and and pay for college and plan for retirement. And um, so I like looking at, at all these competing goals and helping them develop a plan. Yeah. And so you get a client and what does their first year look like uh, with you, Melissa? So, you know, the first year, um, what we do is we take a holistic look at their their entire financial situation and we develop a for lack of a better term, a blueprint of how we we are going to work with them going forward, whether it's, you know, cash flow. Um, of course, we manage portfolios, how we do that. And we create an action list and help them prioritize. And, you know, we'll do whatever, implement whatever parts of the plan that we can for them. But also we help them stay on track to make sure that they implement the pieces that they have to, whether it's reallocating their 401k, um, starting a 529, um, increasing their cash reserves or emergency account. So we look at all those things. Insurance, do they have? How's their risk management situation? What's their estate plan look like? Are their beneficiaries all up to date? So we, we look at everything, but we, we break it down by priority. And depending on their age and where they are in life, the first year is a lot of communication, a lot of back and forth. And, um, and we go from there. Yeah. Again, speaking of Melissa, so today, who is a certified financial planner with Helpern Financial in Rockville, Maryland, like all other advisors on the show, she is fee only. And if you got a question, love to answer a question here 
um, live on Tuesday. So grab the phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So you talked about a little bit, kind of what that first year, and so it, it, certainly there's always this trade off between kind of short and long term kind of financial goals. How, how do you balance that trade off? It's often hard to get people thinking kind of about the long run. They often just very focused on the short. Exactly. That that's exactly it. And so, what we try, what we do is we spend a lot of time listening to what are they, what what are their real goals? Not you know what is that money goal, what is that dollar goal, but what are they really trying to achieve? What type of security are they trying to achieve? Are they are they fixated on not having their kids have student debt? Are they worried? Is it only a one-income household when it's two parents? What is it that they're really concerned about? And we we try to use that to then look at what their their needs are. What are their priorities? What do they really have to do? And frame it in a way that they they understand. Oh, this is going to help me take care of what I'm truly concerned about. So you know, a lot of a lot of the the checklist. You you know, it's a, do you have enough cash reserves? Are you aware of um, cash flow? You know, is it positive? And are you maximizing what you could be doing? Your opportunity, you know, with workplace retirement plans. Um, what's your disability coverage? I mean, we don't sell insurance, but we make sure that they are, um, they do have, you know, the proper risk management in place. So we we try to communicate what we hear them trying to take care of and use that as a way to frame up, okay, these are some shorter-term goals that's going to meet that, and these are some longer terms, and both of them need to be addressed if you want to make sure that what you truly care about is being um, achieved. Yeah. And again, speaking of Melissa, so today is a wealth advisor with Helpburn Financial in Rockford, Maryland. Give us a call. Love to answer a question about your own finances here, live on Tuesdays. So give me a call here at 1 844 just like the school name W H A R T O N. That's 1 844 9427866. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, a question often comes up and kind of Roth. A, a conversions. Um, and it, it, there's certainly no income limits on a, a Roth conversion. There are certainly on the making the contributions. Uh, so t- I've often said, you know, the, the Roth is often, you know, a, a good candidate for people on both sides of the age spectrum, kind of a barbell. Uh, but who do you recommend that, uh, get, uh, get um, think about kind of Roth, Roth conversions? Well, what's interesting with Roth is right now there's a there there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of ways to look at it with the the lower tax rates. That's something to consider. Um, that if you did want to do a conversion, that you can actually kind of manage your tax situation to where you're not paying any more than you did in 2017. So we might look at someone um, who maybe is getting close to retirement and needs some diversification in the type of tax accounts they have. So we might look at that. We might look at um, the other thing that we're seeing a lot of are these mega Roth options. Um, with um, employer retirement plans. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of versions, and it's it's actually 
quite an interesting option. With the mega Roth, um, we have clients where they're wanting to save more. They're, they're making the maximum tax-deferred um, contribution to the 401k, so they have the opportunity to actually put more away. Now, with the mega Roth, if they've got an IRA, a tax-deferred IRA outside of that, then that may not work as well. But if they don't, it can work really well. And then with the backdoor um, Roth IRAs. We see a lot of that. So say, you know, we have somebody that, um, that, that has all their money in, in an active 401k and, um, they will make the, um, non-deductible Roth contribution and then convert it. And that's, you know, there was a lot of clarification this year from the IRS that that's okay. Mm. So, um, so that's been a very powerful thing. Again, for people who are maximizing um, the salary deferral, maximizing you know, many of their other options, and then you have these, um, you'll have young adults who are, um, I have a 24-year-old, and um, I actually, because he's not making a ton of money right now, mm-hmm. I have him contributing to the 401k to get the employer match, but also I have him contributing to his Roth. 401k because he's in such a low tax bracket. So that's another another way to, yeah. to kind of strategize and manage the tax. Yeah, and I, you threw out a term there, mega Roth. We'll come back at some point to explore that in more detail. It's, it's something that is an option a lot of people are not aware of. We'll spend a little bit more time at that at some point. Again, speaking with Melissa, so today he's a wealth advisor, helper, and financial. Give us a call. I'd love to answer a question about your own finances, your own money here. Levin is here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to David, calling from Michigan. How can I help you, David? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure, thanks. Um, Second Michigan caller in a row. I mean, <laughs> I think you guys are going to just try to needle me in terms of the upcoming game here. But no, how can I help you, David? Uh, yeah, uh, I just uh, took over control of my parents' finances. Yeah, uh, they're elderly. Yeah, and um. Uh, I'm I'm concerned they're they're with a fee based advisor mm. right now, and I'm wondering if I should uh, take the funds and move them to a fee only advisor. Yeah, I and mean, if, yeah, it's, yeah, no, that's that's good. Uh, go ahead, I didn't mean to cut you off. If, if so, would there be any tax implications that I'd incur and or that I need to consider? If, if, good question. So let let me ask you: Do you know the funds? that are being invested in are these funds that are like specialty funds of the company itself. I mean, that's often the case where some of the big name national companies that are, they'll call themselves fee based. You've been listening to the show. I'm very glad um, that you are not tricked by fee based. Fee based is not the same thing as fee only. Fee based is often a fee plus a commission. Um, are, are these funds that are um, themselves could be, Move, move to another account, or are they specialized funds for the uh, created by the company offering you the, for the financial advice services? Yeah, I think it's a mix. Okay. I think there's, a, yeah, there's maybe, I, I would say maybe 40 or 50 different funds. Wow. Some of them, yeah. Holy it's, it's cow. Very complicated. Yeah, that's not a good sign right there. I mean, there's often, you know, uh, it's likely, you know, a bunch of commission-based funds in there as well as some other 
uh, uh, funds that they're either charging in, in different ways. Yeah, it, that's very uncommon. If, if he only advisor almost certainly would not be having you in so many uh, different ones. Are there individual stocks as well? Uh, there's a small number of individual stocks. Okay. And, um, it's maybe uh, maybe five percent of the total portfolio. Okay. Okay. So Melissa, yeah, I can certainly give the, David the technical answer here. About your thoughts. Well, yeah. I mean, I I think I guess the the first thing to look at is I mean, yeah, forty to fifty funds is quite a bit. I, I have to agree. I was kind of shocked by that number of funds. So that's kind of concerning. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, I absolutely, I, of course, because I am fee only, I will say that that is the way to go. But it's because we're fiduciary. So we have yeah. to do not it, what is suitable, which is what fee-based will do, um, but we have to do what is absolutely in the client's best interest. And I guess, you know, thinking about the tax impact, I mean, if if you were to switch advisors um in it's a it's a tax deferred account or a retirement like an IRA um they would they could easily change the funds to something very very low cost which is what you'd want to do because you wouldn't want any 12b1s any um commissions paid out i mean a fee only person could not take that um if it's a taxable account the share class could be switched, but I believe that would be uh, you, you'd have a tax impact yeah. with that. Um, so you would have to be very careful. But it it sounds as if I would at least interview some fee only and get some determination on what can be done and okay. um, see where you stand just to, to make sure that where your parents are right now is optimal for them. Yeah. So, could, uh, David, I have two more technical questions for you. The, uh, the first simple, how much is the total assets in, in your parents' portfolio? Uh, it's about a million dollars. Okay. So at that point, a million bucks is probably worth, you know, having somebody, even if you're paying a flat fee, a fee-only advisor, a flat fee, um, or even a, potentially even a CPA if we're worrying about, you know, some of the tax implications of flat fee, just to kind of go through all that and figure that out. And that could be a fee, every, anything from five to 10 grand to um, just go through everything, categorize everything, figure out what their cost basis is and so forth. Um, and and the second question is, is in the, I feel bad to having to ask this question. It's a little bit morbid, but it's it's an important question. You're, you said your parents are older. It sounds like both are alive. What kind of health are are, are they in? Or do you expect them to be kind of living for the next ten, twenty years? Things like that. Yeah, uh, my uh, my father no, uh, he's he's in poor health. But okay. uh, my my mother will probably live at least ten more years. Okay. So there is a provision in the tax law. Um, in fact, it was heavily debated um, last uh, November when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act um, was passed and, in fact, uh, maintained. It's, it's known as what's called a, a basis step up at death. In particular, if you were to tell me your parents were going to pass away, you know, likely fairly soon, and it's really about both parents because what happens if your father passes away soon your his wife gets unlimited uh, uh 
uh, inheritance. There's no inheritance tax with that, but she doesn't get basis step up. And so she still has the basis that you are worried about that is the cost basis of the uh, the stocks and the mutual funds and so forth that were, that were uh, purchased many years ago. But when if she were to pass and then you were to be the heir, when you inherit that, you get what's called a free basis step up at the at death. In particular, you would inherit that. That's one million dollars, well below the estate tax um, um, limit. That actually got increased with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Um, but you'd still get basis step up. And so what happened is that it, uh, you essentially would not be owing taxes. There are some exceptions to this, but for the most part, you would not be owing taxes. Um, uh, and all that capital gains for tax purposes that accrued during their lifetime gets wiped out. The whole the whole cost basis gets stepped up. That is, it gets reset at the point uh, that you inherit. So you're only going to face capital gains for the basis uh, increase uh, during your um, inherited uh, uh, time. So um, it, that is part one reason why you may not want to switch is simply if you thought you could exploit the basis step up. You know, it, it, good chance your mom could be around for, you know, 10 years. It, it, and that could be anything from 5 to 15 to 20 years. Um, and so what you might want to do is, you know, really go through with this with a CPA or fee-only advisor. And here's the basic rules. And that is if the funds that we're talking about are just general funds that could have actually been held at almost any company. I mean, that could actually be at Fidelity, Schwab, you know, TD Ameritrade, even, you know, maybe a Vanguard uh, a broker account. Um, that can just be shifted and there's no tax implication of that. Where the tax implication comes in, and this is where the kind of sliminess of this industry is that a lot of companies will have their own specialized funds, you know, tell you that, oh, they do so well relative to benchmarks, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's, usually bogus um, based on fraudulent, or I shouldn't say fraudulent because unfortunately it's legal, but based on uh, back tests and so forth. Um, but what happens, they'll say, no, if you want to leave us, you have to sell those funds. So they force you to have those sales. Um, and that's where the capital gains comes in. And so um, if it's individual stock, you're likely going to be able to transfer that without having to sell it. If it's a fund that's like, you know, some particular you know, um, uh, uh, fidelity fund or whatever, you can just move that fund to another provider. It doesn't even have to be Fidelity. Um, and uh, as long as it can be housed there, um, it's only these kind of uh, proprietary funds um, where you're, you're going to have that problem. Where they're, and that really is only because they're going to force you to sell because they said that they, you know, those funds are special and you have to be with them to hold those funds. Um, so that's where it kind of comes in. So one strategy may be to negotiate with your current provider. Suppose you feel like, you know, you may be want to take advantage of this this basis step up of death. Um, one way of balancing that is maybe some suppose that you had a proprietary fund that you would have to realize. You would have to sell it in order to switch over to another advisor. Um, and they had a really low cost basis. So you, you're just afraid of a big tax hit. Um, and that, in that case you may well, you know, say, okay, I, I want to move everything else over. I want to renegotiate my fees with this company um, and uh, to basically say, 
you know what, I'm, I'm going to move everything else over that I can move over without the tax realization, keep those proprietary funds with those guys, renegotiate the fee, and then, um, you know, wait till, you know, uh, uh, assuming that you're the heir of these funds, wait till your parents both pass away, and then do the transfer. On the other hand, you know, just keep in mind, as, as uh, Melissa pointed out, is they don't have a financial obligation to do what's in your best interest. They don't have a fiduciary obligation. Um, and so the, can they continue to uh, essentially legally screw you over, you know, 12B1 fees, lots of other things? They can continue to do that. So in that case, you just may want to bite the bullet. But those are the real things that you have to trade off. Uh, so I don't have a black and white answer as I normally try to do in this because it's really going to come down to those factors, what funds you can move over without realization and what funds um, and those proprietary funds if they have a low-cost basis. And then, you know, what's your uh, what's the life expectancy uh, of your parents? But does that help you break it down? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much for calling, David. Really appreciate it. And again, speaking with Melissa Sotoday, who is the wealth advisor, helper in financial at Rockville, Maryland. Give me a call if they answer a question about your own money here live on Tuesday. Is at one eight four four worked and that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And let me go to Stephen calling from Maine. How can I help you, Stephen? Hey, great show. Thanks. Um, my question is on call, paying for college. I have a brokerage account, which is uh, probably 80% employee stock purchase plan. Mm. Um, it's like 200K. I'm wondering, what, is, what do I do to keep that out of the financial aid calculation? Okay, so this is an ESOP plan. Um, and is this technically inside of a 401K, a 403B, or is it technically outside of that? It's outside of it. It's just uh, it's a broker's account, um, and it just flows, you know, each quarter. Yeah. So is, do you know, is it a qualified or non-qualified? Um, I don't know. Do you pay, do you pay taxes on uh, the contributions that are made, or is, is it all done kind of a, um, kind of a pre-tax uh, contribution? It's so it's. Uh, pre-tax. Probably pre-tax. My guess is probably qualified. Uh, uh, Melissa, your thoughts? I mean, is, is, is the 401ks, you know, typically are not uh, included. But, uh, Steve, this is for you or your kids? Uh, this is for my kids. I'm yeah. a school kid. Okay. Uh, Melissa, your thoughts? But okay. it's outside of the 401k. What's that? Right. It, it, it is outside, outside of the 401k. It is outside the 401k. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, the one thing to keep in mind now, is this your only um, brokerage account or that type of like individually held type of account? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the one thing to keep in mind um, as far as um, the financial aid calculations is that since it is, it's your money, it's only calculated a little bit under 6%. And then and there's there's a they they subtract a little bit. I just did a rough calculation here. It would only deem you around $10,000. So, it's not a big hit in the whole calculation um scheme of things. What really impacts the financial aid eligibility calculations is income. That's what has the biggest impact. So, what I would say is not to worry so much about that account because 
it, it isn't. And if you have multiple kids in school, then the impact is even lower. Um, what I would do is make sure that you're maximizing your 401k because that'll lower your income and that's going to be more beneficial. Um, but for, for this, it's just, it's calculated at somewhere like five and a half, a little more than five and a half percent of what you have either in the bank or in a brokerage account that's not a retirement account. So the, the impact isn't as much as a lot of people think it is. So I would, there's no way to really hide it. I mean, you can pay down debt using it. Um, you definitely want to reduce your income, not by asking for a lower salary, but for, for um, making more salary deferral um, contributions if you can. And that should go a long way in um, helping with the financial aid. And, and I, would, I would focus on that. And there's a lot of schools that will, um, you know, depending on the type of school they, they go to, um, they have their own calculations and, and they'll, they'll consider various factors. So I would look at um, the schools that you're looking at, their, the way they, they make these calculations, um, and, and I think that it, you, it's not going to be as big of an impact. Yeah, in particular, Stephen. The bigger impact is is typically um, the income channel. One reason I was uh, trying to probe you um, in terms of you paying taxes on them. Many stock grants, when they vest um, or if they're issued as vested, um, they will show up on your W-2 because it's just like regular income. You're paying taxes on them and so forth. And those are the ones that have – it's that income um, that has to uh, show up on the FAFSA uh, documentation, the financial aid documentation. You can't kind of – you know, it's going to show up in box one in your W-2, and it's it's, you can't avoid um, that – showing up for, for purposes of financial aid. So that's the, kind of the biggest channel. Um, given that this is previous um, uh, uh, stuff, this, you're really just talking about the wealth uh, effect, there's a chance it could be treated more like a 401k, 403b, uh, but the chances are if it's really just being held in a brokerage account uh, and you have a lot of discretion on it, like a taxable brokerage account, um, and then it would show up but for financial aid, as Melissa pointed out, it, it it's really much more de minimis uh, type of impact than people realize. Um, it, it's really, it's it's the it's actually the new grants that show up um, if they show up in box one of your W two. Those will, in fact, um, have a much bigger impact because they, they that's through the income channel now. So I would be actually much more worried about kind of new grants. So one of the things that you could potentially do to optimize this is that you could avoid, you know, if your if your employer uh, can either accelerate your grants or make sure you get the grants before your kid goes to college or even after the grant uh, after college um, you know technically you know if it's after college then there's an issue if that is that promise is actually an asset that has to be um, you know show up um, uh, for the wealth calculation um, but it's really not the the past accumulation is going to be the biggest thing is again it's going to be the flow that shows up in your box one for your w2 that's going to be the bigger one so that's maybe if you have some negotiation 
with your employer about the balance of, you know, uh, maybe uh, something that, like a, an e-stop, for example, um, that is fully vested and you say, maybe I'll take something that's not vested yet. I'll defer the vesting in exchange for a little bit more ESOP. Um, that might be a way uh, to reduce the, the, the box one uh, reportable income. Is that helpful, Stephen? Yeah, and then is it so? Is there a way to move that money to a retirement account? Uh, that's really up to you and your negotiation with your employer. Um, you, you know, it's not like you can um, do it. Now, it's there's true that you can. You know, I, we haven't explored it. Uh, talked about you know how you're doing your. Um, you know, your, your Roth or you have an IRA, things like that. I mean, that's always kind of available to you, but it's not like you can unilaterally uh, take an ESOP that's going into a brokerage account that's maybe not really designated for retirement um, and just, you know, do it yourself that way outside of just the normal Roth uh, 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 IRA, um, so, something like that. Instead, that would be kind of a negotiation with your employer. So uh, thanks so much for calling, Steve. Really appreciate it. Good luck with that. And again, speaking with Melissa, so today, Wealth Advisor, Helper and Financial, doing a great job answering your questions here. Give me a call. Uh, so pick up the phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Ian calling from, I hope I pronounced that right, I, Ian, uh, in Florida. How can I help you, Ian? Yes, hi. Um, I recently uh, started a new position, and my employer does not offer the 401k until six months of employment. Uh, yeah. I'm currently maxing out my IRA contributions, so I want to see what other options do I have for the kind of six-month waiting period for any type of other pre-tax uh, opportunities. Because I'm, you know, I'm I want to put away the, the 10 to 15 percent, but I just can't for the first six months because of the employer, I guess, on board. Yeah, and it, just to be clear, it's it, they don't even allow you to make your own contributions. We're not even talking about the uh, uh, match here, right? Correct. Yeah, it's, it's after six months, then you can start uh, you know, applying as much as you want to the four hundred one k program. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's it's often the case. Are you in the construction industry, Ian? No, uh, okay. transportation. In what? Transportation. Transportation. Okay. And it's a good chance what happens is your employer, a lot of employers don't do that. They just delay when you can get the match. Um, and there's a good chance your employer sees a lot of turnover and they don't want all these little accounts hanging around. Um, and so um, that's often the case. Uh, that's kind of the yeah, logic. It's, it's, it's a large corporation. It's a, it's a Fortune 500. So I, I can see how because they have so many employees that there could be a lot of turnover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's that's kind of the logic behind it. And I, and I get that. I mean, these little accounts can really create big record-keeping fees and so forth. Um, and so, uh, uh, Melissa, your thoughts? So um, I guess one thing – so, Ian, is your, do you have a family or do you have kids? Yeah, I mean, I'm already, I'm already um, maxing out my and my wife's IRAs. Um, she has a 403B that she's contributing to. Uh, in my previous employer, I was maxing out my 401k, but since I moved uh, to a new employer, I just can't do anything for six months. So if there is any other options out there to do a pre-tax type of, uh, you know, savings you know, so I right. get that benefit. Right. So I would definitely um, have your wife make sure she's maxing her 403B if she's got, I mean, because y'all are, you're joint. So I would, I would, if she's not maxing her 403B, definitely have her max that out. 
and um, if you're maxing out the IRAs, those are those are your big options right now for pre-tax or for you know tax deductible eventually. Um, but the one thing I always tell my clients is that you always want to take these opportunities. So if um, if you've got kids, I would um, look at this. So whatever amount you would be contributing to 401k right now that you can't, I would put that into a 529 because that's going to grow tax deferred and or tax free if you eventually use it for qualified expenses. And so you're going to, you want to look at what are your your best tax options. And when you've maxed out what you can do from a pre-tax basis, then you want to look at what are all other tax advantage ways to, um, to, to put money away. So I would kind of do like a little checklist. And, um, I mean, so max out the 403B, uh, contribute to the 529 so you have kids. Um, and then, you know, and then, the thing is, yeah. they're both already they're both paid for. Both of their colleges are paid for. We did um, prepaid uh, when they were born about 12 years ago, so we have six more years. Good for you. Accessing that. <laughs> so I just didn't know like what else there could be done. Uh, yeah, and, and I tell you what, yeah, and hold, hold on to the line. We'll come back. I have some thoughts for you as well. We're going to take a really quick break, and in particular, we'll we'll be back in just a couple minutes uh, uh, with Melissa. So today, and again, live on Tuesdays, give me a call. Let's answer your own question here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Ken Smetters. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money. I'm Ken Smetters, Business Radio here at Sirius XM 132. We're going into our second hour as a reminder, live every Tuesdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to know if you can afford something in particular, or just got a question about your investments, just wondering if you saved enough for your kids' college, just give me a call. Love to answer your question here. Uh, you're with me in this segment. It's Melissa Sotoday, who is the wealth advisor at Helpern uh, at Financial Rockville, Maryland. Uh, live on Tuesday, so give me a call. Pick up the phone here and ring me here at one eight four four Wharton. That's uh, just like the school name, W-H-A-R-T-O-N. That's one eight four four. Nine four two seven eight six six. We left off with Ian. It was calling from Florida. He started with a new employer. He doesn't have a four hundred one k for six months. Wants to know if he has some options uh, to put away his money in a tax deferred uh, way. It sounds like his his wife is already maxing out her own four hundred three b plan. They're already maxing out their IRA, and they've already saved enough for their kids' college. So I mean, overall, Ian, it's. it's Pretty good news. I mean, it's not great that you, you, you're excluded for the six month period, but it sounds like you're in good. He's uh, uh, done some uh, pretty good financial planning. Um, so certainly, it's uh, even though you're excluded from uh, making contributions to your 401k, a lot of things that a self-employed person could do is not going to be allowed here. Things like a SEP and solo 401k and things like that, only because those are usually tied to things like 1099 income. You're still getting a W-2 um, throughout this uh, six-month uh, period. 
the one thing I will say is that, you know, a lot of times people are, you know, thinking, well, I'm just getting a really bad deal if I put my money uh, into like a taxable brokerage account. But actually, it can be part of a strategy where the tax benefit is actually of, um, you know, a tax deferred account above the taxable account doesn't have to actually be that large if you're kind of smart in how you do it. In particular, in your taxable brokerage account, if you haven't set one up, you could easily go to, you know, Fidelity or Schwab, you know, to the Ameritrade Vanguard to set one of those up. And you put money in that you otherwise could not put into your 401k, put that into a taxable brokerage account. But the, what's key about it um, is that you don't um, buy individual stocks. You don't buy a bond fund either. You, in fact, buy a, uh, something like a large cap um, uh, mutual fund. And in particular, something like the S&P 500 index fund or like the Vanguard total stock market uh, uh, fund. Um, so like it's, take the Vanguard total stock market fund. It doesn't turn over that often. And if you put all that excess in a Vanguard total stock market fund, you get a lot of diversified exposure. Yes, it's stock risk. Uh, It doesn't turn over that often. So yes, you're going to get some capital gains along the way, but not very much. And if you don't like taking all that risk, um, then what you could do is in your 401k, presumably you are holding some stocks there, you can just tweak up the bond holdings there, and you can kind of get back to your original stock bond allocation that way. But now you have more bonds in your 401k. You have some stocks, in fact, 100% stocks in a well-diversified taxable uh, uh, brokerage account. Um, And uh, that's actually going to be very tax efficient. Could you do a little bit better having everything in a 401k? Sure. But that's actually going to get really close. And the reason why is most of the income in your portfolio is generated by those bonds or actively traded, you know, funds um, or individual stocks, things like that. Um, that is where most of the, the either the real realized income or regular income is generated. But you have all that stuff in your 401k. If you hold a taxable brokerage account like the Tulo Stock Market Fund for Vanguard and your taxable account. Um, and again, if you don't like all that risk, you can always dial it back a little bit to offset it in your 401k. Um, that You're going to get pretty close to uh, a maximum taxable efficiency. And some advisors actually thinking that's a good idea to go into retirement with you know having those tax deferred as well as taxable uh, accounts. Is that helpful, Ian? Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for calling. Really appreciate it. And again, speaking with Melissa Sotoday, who is a wealth advisor with Helpburn Financial in Rockville, Maryland, uh, doing a great job answering her questions here. I'd love to answer questions about your own money here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So, uh, Melissa, in terms of kind of looking, um, you know, at the current week, I mean, uh, in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> lots of variation, you know, market recovered quite a bit today, but still quite down for, you know, the year. Um, well, at least, you know, giving up all the gains uh, uh, for the year. People get nervous, you know, is where, what which direction is the market going and so forth. And certainly we talk, you know, with Try to talk people off the ledge, you know, not to time the market, not to either jump in when it's going up or to jump out when it's kind of going down. Uh, how do you advise your clients who are in these kind of high volatility times? So, um, actually, that's a great question. Yes, you're right. All of October has been kind of kind of like a roller coaster. Um, and our basic message is that this is actually how markets generally work. 
And we just got very lulled by having a great 2017. And we we did expect volatility. We never know when it's going to happen. So we look at and we focus on things that you can control. You can control cost of underlying funds. You just mentioned, you know, Vanguard index funds. There have there's a there's a cost cutting war between Fidelity, yeah. Vanguard, Schwab. So it is very very cost effective to use a lot of these um, index type funds. So you can control that. You can control. You also um, we're just talking to Ian about the having a taxable brokerage account. Well, you can control how what what the tax efficiency is if you do have um, a taxable account. How tax efficient is it? And you can have complete control over that. And in fact, with our clients who are close to retirement, because generally those are the most um, worried, either that they're approaching or they're in retirement. And the conversations we have for them is let's focus on the things we can control, cost, tax. But the other thing is what is what are their income needs and is that structured in a way that they've got a few three to five years of secure income that if it's needed from the portfolio, that that's held in very short-term interest instruments that are not volatile and that we secure that. So we go through these conversations, you know, the the proactive ones are what can you control? Can't control the volatility. That's what markets are going to do, but we can control cost, tax efficiency, and making sure that there's enough cash available, income available that can, can help them ride out you know, three to five years, which is a typical market cycle. And so when you have those conversations, you have less anxiety among amongst your clients. And I, I think advisors who, who try to say, oh, I know it's going to happen because we're coming up to elections. I mean, the elections, I think, are causing um, a lot of this volatility, but it may still continue in December. Who knows? But, but, being very upfront and transparent with saying you don't know what what's going to happen, but let's prepare you for this volatility. I think really is is a good message to clients, and it's a good approach because we got to figure out how to help them through this. Yeah, and again, speaking of Melissa, so today wealth advisor, helper in financial Rockville. Maryland, give us a go. Love to answer a question about your own personal finances here at one eight four four Worth, and that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And as you pointed out, Melissa, we're coming up to election. I can't, can't tell you how many people try to get on this show. You know, in the presidential election last round, of you know, basically their theme was if Donald Trump was elected, the market would crash, and how you know horrendous the markets would be. And listen, I'm not taking a position on one way or the other, and and this president, but you know, it just goes to show Show that it is it, the this, the relationship between politics and economic performance in the stock market is very loose, and um, studies gone all over the map and really show almost very little connection uh, uh, when done well. And so, it's a, I, I don't let the tea leaves uh, readers on the show for precisely for that reason. Uh, you did mention, I think it's actually interesting. You, you didn't mention it by name, but fidelity was oh, implicit. I think in your conversation, with, you know, zero fees and 
for funds. And of course, they get something off securities lending, things like that. I mean, the difference between like five basis points and, you know, a a Vanguard fund and zero basis points in a Fidelity fund strikes me as fairly small. Um, But in your mind, is that enough to justify kind of moving somebody, say, from Vanguard, which legally cannot charge zero fees? They have to break even on a fund by fund basis. They can't cross subsidize. But is that, you know, big enough to kind of move somebody from a a Vanguard to to Fidelity? Or is that just, you know, at that point, you say, what's the difference between zero and five for five basis points? Well, so if it were a situation where it would cost other, it, it would cost something, and so say for instance, it would it would be it would have a tax impact, then no, it's sure, not worth sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. But um, if it's in a tax deferred account, we we look at we look at the pennies in the cushion. Sure. I mean, we really because we know sure. we can't control yeah, other yeah. things, and that's something we can control. And um, and I think you also brought up a really good point with the call from um, the caller from Florida about hey, put money in a, the taxable account because the other thing we looked at, and I was touching on this a moment ago, is we try to get people to balance out what they have. In tax deferred, in tax free, i.e., Roth, yeah. and in a taxable, because that makes a huge difference when you're looking at where can I pull income from, you know, depending on age, depending on, you know, many factors. And when we have clients who have a, um, a, 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 a good percentage, you know, say 40% in taxable, 60% in tax deferred, that's really healthy. Generally, people at that level are in a really good spot of being able to cover their their retirement income through their through, mm. through their life expectancy. So, um, to your question, is it worth changing? We actually will change if we see a, a cheaper fund with the same objective, the exact same objective, and yeah. we can do it without any tax impact. We will do it because we we figure we need to save our clients as much money as possible, and we're very tax efficient on the taxable accounts as well. So we won't do it if it's going to cause a, a tax bill, but if it's not, we will absolutely save some save money wherever we can. Sure, yeah, because you're right. That's, a, that's the only thing you can really uh, control, and it's a, it's a, it's amazing to see this price competition and uh, in a world that used to not have you know this. Price Price competition is really the vanguard effect, it, it, having a massive impact, both here, obviously, and now even in Europe. Again, speaking with Melissa, so today, Wealth Advisor, Helper in Financial, give me a call if they answer questions here. Uh, Live on two says, grab the phone here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Lewis, calling from Minnesota. How can I help you, Lewis? Hey, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I have about $150,000 cash that I recently got from selling a commercial building. I've paid the taxes, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm looking for somewhere to park this for probably in the two- to four-year time range, and then after that I'd like to consider uh, building a cabin. And so I don't want to go backwards on on my principal, I'm a little concerned about where the market is headed over the next, say, two to four years if I want to protect my principal. So I'm wondering where a good place to park it is and what would be a tax-efficient 
place. Yeah, yeah. And we can't have it all, <laughs> but that's for sure. Uh, but it, it sounds like building this cabin is pretty important to you. You would not be happy delaying building that cabin if you know if you lost some of that money in the stock market and had to you know save up um in additional years to get back to that cabin um you know a payment is, is that right lewis correct yes I, i'm right. 52 now and and i don't want to wait until i'm 60 or 65 to start enjoying it yeah yeah no i hear you i just <laughs> i no i i was Probably fifty. I was fifty-one now. Just maybe forty-nine, fifty when I first bought my first one. And I know I hear you. Even I will tell you though, you don't use it nearly as much as you think. And so that that is the thing. You think you're going to be there fishing every weekend, and unfortunately, life gets in the way. So, um, Melissa, I mean, uh, it's certainly uh, very hard. This is, uh, he wants to have access. He's 52 now. He's not, it's not like he's going to get, um, it's going to be 59 and a half in the next two years. Uh, uh, and so it's certainly, we don't want, um, and secondly, it's obviously the money's being held outside of a tax deferred account anyway. Um, and it sounds like he's really concerned about the principal, um, and he's already paid the taxes on it, so there's not that many options here. Your thoughts? No, yeah. no, there aren't very many options, and and I would absolutely not expose this um, to to anything that was yeah. super volatile. Um, even if, again, which I wouldn't project this that oh, next year we'll be in a recovery. I think two to four year time frame is not enough. Um, to to ride out a, a stock cycle, hmm. so I would definitely avoid that. I would look at possibly um, some short-term tax-free instruments. Um, there's some good funds out there that are they're the shorter term, they're tax-free. They do move up and down a bit. You know, when interest rates go up, the principal go down a little bit, but because they're short-term, they're being replaced by higher paying, higher interest and it's tax-free, um, I just, I, I think you have to stay with something that's, that is not volatile and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's considered short-term, which generally would be some sort of bond. But if you don't want the tax impact from bonds, because that can, that can really hit you. So I'm looking at maybe a diverse um, tax-free um, fund might be something um, to consider. Are you referring to me like a muni fund or what are you referring to? Yeah, uh, like a muni fund, like a diversified um, short-term muni fund might might work. Um, we do, I know for some of our more conservative portfolios, we will hold those and um, they're not as as cheap as, um, yeah. as, a, as a large cap index fund, that's for sure. But I mean, you can find something fairly reasonable um, but I think the main point is that a two to two to four year time frame is just not enough. I mean, if you don't sound very aggressive, Lewis, so I would say you know you you really do want to want to look at something more conservative, which is basically something cash like something income producing. Um, 
But if you were more aggressive, I mean, you could weigh out, this is a strategy that we'll talk through with some of our clients. Um, if they wanted to go a little more aggressive on, on money that they're holding is think about getting a mortgage if there is a downturn. And then once, um, if they don't like, you know, depending on interest rates, I mean, it's, it's a whole calculus, but you could weigh out, well, if interest rates are low enough, then you can make be weighed out. But I think for you and for most people, it's best just to keep your your whatever you're earmarking these funds for, if it's short term, to keep it in something that has a, a short term objective. Yeah. Lewis, let me ask you uh, one question here. What's your household income, not including this, uh, obviously the sale? Uh, household income is about 110000 a year. Okay. So the reason I ask that is that if you're looking at things like um, low tax um, or kind of no tax in the case like a muni fund. So the muni fund um, is one possible way. These are funds, you know, bond funds that hold municipal bonds of from you know, states and uh, cities and so forth. Um, they're not no risk. Um, you know, cities do default and there's a debate whether states can default, but cities do default default and that that she often composes most of the most of the bond funds or in fact the municipalities um, that's what makes them kind of tax free and so um, they're not uh, no risk but they're considered to be kind of low risk uh, at, the, at the same time there's a high demand for these typically by people in the highest marginal tax rates and so as a result uh, essentially um, the benefits of the tax get capitalized into the return that you would expect um, and so it's really people for the highest marginal tax rate who are kind of, you know, more break even with this relative to, say, um, something that's on uh, that's taxable, like an after-tax basis, some bond fund or something like that. So typically the way we think about the calculus here, and this, you know, varies, is that the, uh, the tax-free return on the muni is equal to the after-tax return um, um, on uh, a taxable bond fund calculated at the highest marginal uh, tax rate. And so you're not at the highest marginal tax rate. So typically, you know, I would typically um, uh, maybe skew you away from something like uh, a muni fund for that reason, given your income. Having said that, that is one one option to go. It it's avoids kind of the complexity of paying taxes and so forth. The other option here is, you know, you know you're not going to get a ton of taxable income between now and a couple of years in a low-risk vehicle anyway. So even if you did something like a CD, money market. I, I, again, I think people will prioritize taxes or sometimes a little bit too much. Don't get me wrong. I, I, get, I get the point. I don't want to pay the man if you don't have to. But I think people just, you know, almost as a principle, not even look at the dollars and cents to kind of prioritize a little bit too much. We're not talking about that much. So if you, you know, put money into, uh, you could imagine some type of laddered CDs where you get, you know, you're not exactly sure when you want to buy this house and you're not exactly sure where interest rates are going. So you want to remain somewhat flexible. 
flexible. So maybe with 150,000, you do 50,000 and something that's like a, a three-year CD or two-year CD and you put the rest into something that's a little bit shorter. Yeah, you're going to get some income. You're going to pay, pay, pay some taxes. It's not really going to be that much anyway. You're more concerned about trying to protect principal. And the shorter the CDs, if there's inflation that goes up, cost of wood and building the cabin, labor and so forth goes up, um, you know, the shorter the CD, you give up more interest, uh, promised interest income, but at the same time remain flexible so that if there is inflation, the next CD that you buy is going to be a higher return to incorporate that inflation. Um, so, you know, I, I think that you're probably looking at CDs, money market accounts, um, something like that. Uh, and, you know, uh, it really, it's about protecting principle here. I wouldn't put too much priority on the taxes. Hope that's helpful, uh, uh, Lewis and Melissa. Fantastic job coming in at the end of the segment. And so uh, uh, th- thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure, Kent. And you can find out more about Melissa by going to her website, helpernfinancial.com. Again, helpern, that's with a P in there, H-A-L-P-E-R-N, financial.com. Or she's also on my website, kent.money.com. And you're listening to your money, Kent Smithers, business radio powered by the Wharton School here at Series X and 132. When you come back, it will take more of your questions about how to save your money, invest and pay down debts, and otherwise manage your money. Welcome, Rhett Dean, back to the show again. Live on Tuesday, give me a call here at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 942 7866. Be back in just a couple minutes. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 